Something like, oh, I'm thinking like Miami Vice style with the Roto Toms, you know? I'll get right on it. Yeah. Uh, we'll have it for next week. Um, this is a very special occasion. Uh, we didn't start the show though, did we? <laughs> Not really. You finished your soup dumplings. I got, I got my you soup could. dumpling from... Uh, this don't. Don't, don't do don't it. Don't do it. I'm don't not. Do it. I can't. I am not doing. It's not that kind of humor. Dumpling. It's not that kind of a show. Uh, I wanted to present you with something. As this is the last episode before we start, I would just like to say this is the last episode. Don't freak out. Not the last episode, but the last episode in the storeroom at where All Pro Athletics, yeah. my store, which I have yet to name, and I would like to present to you. This commemorative. <laughs> Are you you're really cleaning out the storeroom? This huh? is a commemorative. Wow. Uh, That's a beautiful water bottle. Water bottle. It looks like uh, Steely Dan. It's beautiful. And uh, it keeps cold things cold and hot <laughs> things hot. And uh, well, then it's perfect for me. I've got 20 more of them if you're, <laughs> the rest of your family would like to be out. Any monsters out there that would like uh, an all pro athletics water bottle, please write Mike R. And really just. <laughs> Oh, Lordy. Well, why don't we just finish sending out the T-shirts orders that have been building yeah. up in the back? RMA Nights. Here we go. Do we have any T-shirt orders that have been building up? No, I, no, we don't. I thought um, there was a kerfluffle with the kerfluck-up looking a, thing. A, a <laughs> kerfluck-up? <laughs> uh, we do have a T-shirt order, so thank you. Uh, that one person who ordered a T-shirt. And the rest of you get on that. <laughs> you don't, If you haven't bought one yet, buy one. RMA Nights. The credit card bill is coming coming due. And action. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm not X. And I'm a nocturnal Mike. And boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA. As the clock runs down on the RMA storeroom studio, we set our sights on greener pastures and a more permanent home of the dynamic recovery duo. And hmm. it's another edition of Get Smart with Aaron, not to be upstaged by the debut edition of The Big Three with SLP, our very own G-Money Smooth Grant Boykin, the editor-at-large of the RMA Newsroom's brand new segment from his breakthrough recovery news website, SoberLiningsPlaybook.com. I don't think that sentence is long enough. Ugh. All this and more today on a very special edition of RMA Nights. 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 Yeah, we're doing this in the dark, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> we're usually morning people. Yeah. But here we are at night. I feel like I should be more relaxed now. Am I more relaxed or the am problem I is like, fidgety? I ate dinner, so I'm like ready to go to bed. Yeah. Usually my circadian rhythm starts telling me it's... Go ahead, crack that beer. There you go. Yeah, that is not a beer. That is a an orange. I soda. like doing the show at night. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. I mean, I'm always stressed out when we typically when we do the show. I would shut my store in the morning, so I, I'm getting phone calls and kids are calling me because they're getting kicked out of but school. But don't you think that gives you an edge? It's a nice little. You have a nice little, almost like a cocaine like anxiety <laughs> thing going on in the mornings. Well, I can't... Isn't uh, that part of the secret sauce, Nat? It might be. I mean, I can't guarantee I won't still be that way. Um, but I'm very excited to be here. I didn't know how I would put this all together or how we would, but... Here we are. Here we are. 
You just plug in the machine and... Oh, you did the outline. Letter rip. <laughs> Letter rip. This episode is brought to you by the Recovery... <laughs> I was going to go so smooth into that, uh, too. This episode is brought to you by the Recovery in the Middle Ages Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know. It's a members-only subscription service featuring Discord private messages. May I just say, yes. the Discord is fast becoming my favorite part of this whole thing. Isn't it? There's so many good people on there. It's awesome. We're having great conversations. And it's 24-7. We're going back and forth. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, it, it's weird because we cover slightly different times of the day because I get up at like 4.30 yep. and I always do good morning is one of the first things, right. but there's usually a couple people in there already, like Allie and uh, somebody else. Rob, well, Rob's in uh, in the UK, so he's on all right, the time. Right, right, right. That's right. Uh, but I'll see a message on there. I'll be sleeping, I'll wake up, and then I'll see a message, and I'll write back. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. anyway, Discord is part of the uh, Patreon. So if you throw us a couple of shekels a month, you know, not too many, could be three, could be, uh, the sky's the limit, really, but the minimum is three. Three bucks. Three dollars a month. Eight do- eight, three dollars to rock, eight to roll, and twelve to have it all. <laughs> you know, what the did I fuck just, is it, that? You never heard that? Rock clubs? We used to play with these rock clubs where it was 18 to rock, 21 oh, to yeah, roll. Yeah, yeah. So right. I've uh, appropriated They that. used to say 18 to rock, 21 to drink, though. To roll. All right. That's what we used to put on our band flyers when we would play like, oh, okay. in all, uh, you know, an 18 and up club. Anyway, um, Patreon is like having a recovery support family right at your fingertips. Members will also get extra mini shows, pictures. Sorry, I just had to belch because I had dinner. Speaking of pictures, I'm going to do, I got to do a picture for the Patreon right now. Ready? Yeah. An exclusive merch for joining and an added level of support for our recovery. Go to patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages to learn more and to sign up. Uh, So we have all these like sub discussions um, in the main discussion, yep. so there's a separate discussion of fitness, of mm-hmm. music, of uh, books, you know, all that and kind of stuff. My and favorite's a meeting after the meeting group, right? Because we have the RMA recovery meetings, and then I immediately go into the group that's the meeting after the meeting, and we continue the discussion. Yes, that's like six days old now, or five days old. It's very cool. And uh, yeah, so the meetings are also at 11:30 a.m. Eastern time on Sundays for the time being. If anybody out there is interested in wants to host a meeting at another time for the other monksters whose schedule perhaps yeah. does not allow them to attend on Sunday mornings. Uh, volunteers are always uh, encouraged and welcome. Yeah, I would um, love to have a Wednesday night meeting. We will train you how to how to host the meeting. Yeah, as we talk to Matt, uh, Matt will train you. G Money Smooth or uh, or Aaron. Uh, I would just like to say welcome to all the monsters listening stateside around the world, down the street, across the table, and right next door. Welcome all. Settle in, buckle up, and get ready for excitement, comedy, tragedy, intrigue, mystery, and so much more. Where can they find us, Mike? They can find us on the recently reconstituted uh, MiddleAgesRecovery.com website, which I guess was down for a couple days this week. Yeah, Did we, we had forget a, to pay the electric bill. No, it was a bandwidth error. We had too much too traffic. many too much yeah. traffic coming to the Middle Ages uh, <laughs> Recovery of the Middle Ages. I don't know. That's what amazing. Hap- I don't know what happened exactly, but it it involved too much traffic. So where did it come from? I'll have to check the logs. Uh, ooh, that sounds very sci-fi. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so find the podcast uh, in all your local podcast places, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, 
which yeah. I, are we, so let, let's yeah. get into this. Okay. Are we pulling our show off Spotify because Neil Young doesn't like Joe Rogan? Uh, <laughs> or are we not doing that? I hadn't considered that, but we should take a stand <laughs> somewhere, right? I don't know. Do we need to take a stand? We should tell Spotify, you know, if, if you have Joe Rogan, then we're, we're out. We're out. We're out. We'll I, take our, our podcast elsewhere. I'm not sure who Neil Young thinks is still listening to him. You know, <laughs> I, I listen. I love Neil Young. I, yeah. I listen to Boomer Rock like almost exclusively, listen. and and I and even I was like Neil. Come on, that's not buddy. the threat in in, in 2022 that it might have been in 1972. Yeah, I was like, you're no Jermaine Jackson, buddy. Yeah. You know, back up. <laughs> I don't know, but you know, it's funny because I got a lot of. Um, I have a lot of lefty friends and they, you know, and today there was like this all trending on Facebook. They were all canceling their Spotify subscription. Really? I'm like, that's, I don't know. Listen, Listen guys, do what you want, but it seemed really cancel. stupid to me because yeah. like, but then, but, cause then you don't give money to any of the other artists that you like to listen to. Yeah. Listen, right? um, I mean, I don't know, whatever. It's a platform people, where people can say what they want, whatever. It's America. You, you can, don't have to agree with them. Uh, and that's the end of my foray into politics. Um, is that even political? Why Why don't they like Joe Rogan again? I don't I, even Rogan, know. Ro, the best description I heard of Joe Rogan recently was he, like he's Gwyneth Paltrow for men. <laughs> it has something <laughs> you know? to do with, uh, he's like um, something with vaccines and things, which I really don't oh, want to talk about. Yeah, but, I don't want to talk about that. Um, whatever it is, it's stupid, you know, who, but listen to us on Spotify. We don't make yeah. any controversial statements here. I listened to Joe Rogan <laughs> like three or four times. Like when he had Elon Musk on, I listened. Yeah. Because I was like, I want to see if Elon Musk smokes pot with Joe Rogan. Yeah. And I was not disappointed. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So when you visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, um, you can, you know, give us a story. Tell us your story. Tell Fill us. out the form. Yes. Yes. You can listen uh, to old episodes there. Uh, I would really like to see all of you, every one of you who is listening right now, come in and at the very least join the private Facebook group because yeah. there's exciting discussions that go on there. Um, it's a big you don't family. have to get on Discord to you talk to uh, no. to the two of us. We're always on Facebook uh, in the private group, the private mm-hmm. unsearchable group. Uh, in order to get to that group, though, you have to go to our public facing page and then request um, admission to the private group, send us a message yeah. and then we'll let you in. We'll give you the secret codes. And, yes, please you know. do. And, uh, we have, as I mentioned, the weekly recovery meetings, uh, hosted by uh, Grant and Aaron alternating weeks. Uh, leave us a review on Apple podcast app. Great reviews will be right on the air and Spotify. Yes. Right. And Spotify, I guess has reviews now too. Yes. Uh, you can also call the RMA hotline at five one six eight 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 six. Two nine seven. Um, nobody has been calling the hotline since Christmas. It uh, it just sort of died off. Yeah, guys, we will play it if it's you know not too offensive. That's a threat. Yeah, <laughs> we, we will, will play, play it. it. We will. So maybe that's what's keeping them from calling. If okay. you don't want us to play it, you can still call the hotline yeah, and tell so us you don't want us to play it, and then we'll just like read the transcript, which I'm sure will be humorous because AI is not all that yet. No, no, it'll be great. Uh, we're not moving on to the life update yet. We're I don't not. Think. What are we doing next? I thought we would do our monsters speak. Oh, right. Segment. Yes. Um, now it's time for monsters speak. Monsters speak. speak. That's fun. <laughs> do I have to sing it again? Uh, no, you don't have to sing it. Is that because you're going to play the jingle, <laughs> or are we going to just? Hey, I have an idea. Talk about it. Why don't I just play the jingle? Oh, that would be okay. great. All right. 
What did they been up to? Let's take a peek the segment we call Monster Speak. Speak, 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 I'm starting to hate that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make another And I wrote it. I, we're we're going to have a music day. We're going to make some some tracks. Yes. Some fat tracks. Gonna, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, if you guys have any requests for songs you'll want Nat and I to cover, we'll play them on the guitar and then throw them up in the Discord or we'll throw them up on the Facebook There'll be page. a lot of throw up going <laughs> on. <laughs> <laughs> Just nothing too complicated. Uh, so we have an update from RMA's uh, favorite son. That's right. It's, this is a very uh, special monster speak. The Rye Man. That's right. Rhina. The pastrami on Rye Ryan. Man. Rhina. 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 Hello, monsters. It's me, Ryan, or Rhina. Things are going okay on my end, still in South Florida, and have officially reached the halfway point of treatment. Uh, in recovery, they often talk about the pink cloud that happens when you get clean and sober. Yes, that's such a nice cloud, isn't mm-hmm. it? So warm and enveloping. Mm. Uh, a sort of um, euphoric <laughs> state of mind where you feel like you can conquer the world. Well, truth is, mine came and left as quickly as it showed up. Yes, Buddhist concept of impermanence. Attachment to a state of mind That's right. causes suffering. Uh, I don't want to be a downer here, but Nat asked for an update, so I'm going to be real. Uh-oh. I should have read Shit. this. Uh, I'm almost at a loss of words to describe how I'm feeling. It certainly isn't the utter despair that I was in just a few months ago. Well, that's good. But it isn't a state of hopefulness and serenity either. Mm. That's bad. Uh, it falls somewhere in between, and I'm not sure that's even accurate. I find myself often very numb, and when I'm not numb, it seems as I am always bordering on agitation or pure boredom. Hmm. That sounds like my Tuesday afternoons. <laughs> it sounds familiar. Uh, granted, this is expected uh, as we do the same thing every day, all day here. Again, very much like my It is repetitive. My life. life can um, be repetitive. It is, however, a bit discouraging as I had hoped by now I'd be brimming with joy, hope, and enthusiasm. Uh, yeah. I do understand those expectations are unrealistic. If I look at my addiction and the damage I've done neurologically, I would say this to myself. I have been walking into the woods for 15 years now. It stands to reason it's going to take more than 60 days sober to walk myself out and to feel healthy, whole, and complete. This is a long process, and healing happens slower than I would like. At the end of the day, I'm still incredibly grateful for the path that I'm on. I know today, if I don't drink or drug, something good is bound to happen. I'm walking by faith even when I feel blind at the moment. Blind faith. Blind Faith. It's an Eric Clapton album. It is? Uh, Well, yeah, band. Anyway. Interesting. Uh, The spirit of the universe didn't carry me this far to drop me on my head now. I believe that most of the time, anyway. I believe that most of the time, anyway. Hmm. LOL. There are times in the day when I have fleeting feelings of contentment, hopefulness, and growth, and right now I hold onto those dearly and stand in belief that so long as I continue to stay on the path, those feelings will manifest into a life of purpose, meaning, and love. When I get pissed, uh, that does not mean drunk for the English people, uh, I have to stay here for another 45 days. Another thing I remind myself of is I am trading these 90 days to get better for the next 40 to 50 years of my life. Thank you for your continued support. Seriously means the world. Stay well, my RMA family. Much love and gratitude, Ryan. Yay. That is a uh, really perceptive and uh, realistic, I think, view of what life is like in early recovery. It's not unicorns and rainbows, unfortunately. No, not at all. And uh, Ryan's finding this out firsthand. And uh, I've been able to keep up with him almost on a daily basis. And um, and he's really, and I'm trying to just impress upon him uh, that, you know, it doesn't always feel like bubbling joy. Of course. Um, That's it, life. And you have to, just to know that the life he's building for himself, it's going to take work and he's doing the work and to just try and keep sight of that stuff. And, you know, for the record, 
before he was in rehab, I don't think he could spell neurologically, much less write it and use it correctly in a sentence. He's doing so well. His thoughts are so uh, succinct. Yes. And uh, he's got a handle on his feelings. And sometimes, you know, they say the best part about getting sober is you get your feelings back. The worst part about getting sober is you get your feelings back. Right. And and until you learn a little bit of emotional regulation, things are going to be a little raw. And, um, but I will say this to you, Ryan, like the way you feel right now is not the way you're always going to feel. No. And this is, I mean, it doesn't have to be like this, but you know, the truth is this is how it is for you right now. And the fact that you know it, you're acknowledging it, but you're not going back to old ways of soothing, you know, right. the fact that you're learning these new techniques, um, and you're learning a new way to live. And it's also a very important lesson to anybody getting sober. It's like, your life isn't going to be so happy all the time. Like if it is great, but you know, life has ups and downs and it's all about your view of it. It's all about how you see it and what you do with it. That's all very true. You got to watch with the, um, with the, uh, what's the word? Toxic positivity though. Like the fake, see, I always, I always wonder about this, right? Cause mm. there's the fake it till you make it ethos, right? Where, mm. you know, you put the smile on your face and you think, you know, everything's great. And then I'll make, I will will everything to be great, but you can't will everything to be great. No. Just as much as you can't, you know, will yourself to, to do almost anything. It doesn't have to be great or it doesn't have to be horrible. It just is. Yeah. Right. And just, just, it's really, it's, it's acceptance is what it is. You just have to accept things the way they are with the understanding that they will not always be the way they are. Right. And, uh, you're doing it, Ryan. We're so proud of you. And I can't wait um, he's going to come on the show. He's agreed to do a, a full interview. Um, All right. That's one of the things. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we're holding it. I said, man, get out of there, do your best, and you're coming on the show, and we want to hear from you. And I think it would be great uh, for everyone to sort of see, you know, bird's eye view of that he's going through the process and doing it, I think, the best way for him. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean everyone has to go to rehab, but... He's making the Not most everybody. of it. He's making the most of it. And um, we're so proud of you, buddy. Yeah, man. <clears throat> and uh, that was Monster Speak. I don't think we have to play the... Okay. I don't know. RMA Nights, everyone. RMA Nights. So, life update. Um, I wanted to kick this off with uh, my trip to the McDonald's mansion. Yeah, what that it, place is off the hook, huh? Now, if you were on the Discord on our Patreon, you would have been getting a minute-by-minute update of my trip to uh, to uh, the McDonald's mansion. So, it, it's one of the, I don't know if they have these all over the country, but... No, they do not. This is not a usual thing. Um, and I'm just going to read from the... Uh, from There was a news article about it. And it goes like this. This treasure may date as far back as 1795 and once served as the farmhouse of Joseph Denton, a descendant of Reverend Richard Denton. Oh, right. Richard Denton. One of the founders of the town of Hempstead, which is a great place to get crack in New York. Uh, As time passed, New Hyde Park boomed with businesses and new developments in the mansion, had a number of other uses before falling into disrepair. Um, Blah, blah, blah. It's a McDonald's in a mansion. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> and um, my, but McDonald's originally wanted to tear it down, right. And build a McDonald's, and they were like, but the no. community. And it, the funny thing is, this mansion, 
yeah. is on a strip of Jericho Turnpike, <laughs> surrounded by like auto body stores, <laughs> yeah, it's and awesome. like it's nothing. But the community was like, "You must save that house. You have to save right? that house." And my oldest son, we were looking to do something that night. We wanted my wife wanted to go out to dinner. And just to get out of the house to do something. And uh, my oldest son really, really wanted to go to this McDonald's mansion because he had it in his head that I think in the a while ago they used to have like waiters. They had waiters. And like full service. And it was like McDonald's, but you're being served. Now, <laughs> what it is today is far different. It is a beautiful mansion. You do walk in and you see the grandeur of this. It looks like the Grand Floridian uh, in, uh, in Disney World type of thing. It's beautiful, uh, but really what it is is they've just put a regular-ass McDonald's inside of a mansion, <laughs> and there's really no other, you know, difference. Is there a drive-thru? Yeah, and there is a drive-thru, and, wow. uh, and so that was our big, you know, exciting experience. It's, it's, it's really um, depressing, though, isn't it? Like, you, yes. you go in there, and you, you're it's, in this beautiful surroundings, and then you get a quarter pounder with cheese. And, and that's it, and yeah. I was hoping there would be some kind of fancy versions of you know the, the McDonald's meals, but there isn't. Yeah, French fry um, potatoes with an e on the end of potato. But you know, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It's always great to go out with my family when we're not you know fighting or the kids aren't at each other's throats. <laughs> yeah, that is always um, fun. And so it was fun. Um, and then I had the best Sunday I've had in a very long time. And really, to the point. I don't know if this is just my bipolar mania, but I felt like I was high. Everything was going right. Um, it was just a great, you know, church service was great. We had a good Sunday school class. And then I went straight from there to the RMA recovery meeting, which is actually the basis for the show today was what I gleaned from this meeting. Which yeah. It was really cool. I'm we glad were, you gleaned something. I wasn't there. You weren't there. You missed I it. And it was, it, it yeah. was really good. It had some new, uh, monsters show up, some really, uh, interesting people. And it was really cool to, uh, talk to some new monsters. And we started talking about self-love, forgiveness, not bullying yourself and things like that. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, and after the meeting, I was all amped up. I was in such a great mood. And, uh, you know, the kids were getting along. Uh, Noah was teaching Max how to do coding on this oh. thing called Scratch. Yeah. And uh, I was just so amazed, you know, because he's been so you know, anti-Max lately, you know, right. his little brother and just kind of like hiding in the basement, not wanting to be near him. And mm -hmm. it, it breaks my heart because Max is such an adorable kid. You know, he's such a sweetheart. And all he wants is for Noah to love him and pay attention to him and be nice. Right. And, the very uh, thing that an older brother refuses to give. It, exactly. <laughs> and it was just so great. And uh, Noah got so excited that Max wanted to learn about coding because Noah's very into coding. Now he's learning Python and stuff. It's really oh, cool. Oh, wow, yeah. And um, it's quite a talent. And then I made a fire and my wife was relaxing and reading and leave it to fucking beaver. My, wow. I'm, I'm telling you. And the best part, and I will leave it here uh, for this is I'm putting Max to bed. And uh, I said, wow, it was such a great day, Max. Wasn't it a great day? And he said, yeah, you know what the best part was, daddy? And I said, what? Because Noah was nice to me. Oh, can you? I mean, how can you? What's better than that? Uh, and I it was don't just know. a great day. Um, That's oh, awesome. Uh, the other great thing is, I forgot about this because it's on the next bullet point. Uh, I had to take down the, the lights on the house, finally, from Christmas. <laughs> and he actually came outside and helped me do it. No, it did. He helped me do it. And I feel like he was getting into the spirit of helping. Right. And I was giving him so much positive reinforcement. 
I feel like I just wanted him to keep going. And yeah. he got on a high because I was on a high, like doing things. Two of you guys were just like tripping out. It, it was amazing. On, on bliss. Yeah. And so, I, I don't know. It was just like such a great day. And so, you know, I just wanted to uh, laud That's awesome, the man. wonderful Sunday. It's great to have a great Sunday. Yeah. And juxtaposed with Mike Storrs closing, which I'm not going to go into. The, I'm going to step back a little bit from the mic while I think about how I want to talk about this. But, okay. um, you know, because okay. it's, it's this really crazy hard time right now, but... It was a great Sunday. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna miss the storeroom. Uh, we've had some. We've had some great times back here. We've laughed. We've cried. We've had guests sitting here. You know, Joseph Naus came from California to sit in this room. Yeah, you know, you know there's a it's lot of be memories. A big change. It's a lot of memories, and uh, it's been it's been hard. But uh, you know, like the way I describe it to people is, it's like going to a funeral. Uh, or a wake, I should say, where mm-hmm. there's the person. Right. And, you know, there's Uncle George. You know, you see the body, but he's not there. And that's what this is like to <laughs> okay. me. Okay. It's a shell. I yeah. mean, the soul is gone. Right, right. And it's I, just I, a vessel and at I, this point. It is. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to move forward and see where the next RMA Studios, but it is going to be RMA, RMA Nights probably permanently. Listen, we both have jobs. Yeah, you know, I got uh, a job. We've been, I've been stealing some little time for mine to do the show, and you, I know you have been doing the same, so, you know. I think it's going to be great, but did you have a good week? Or, did I have a good week? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, it was okay. I mean, I, I'm sort of getting reeled back into the scouting world. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, and, and I don't know how I feel about that. I'm a, I, I enjoy the scouts, and I liked being a Boy Scout, yeah, but and the Christian Fellowship is doing it for you. No, no, I just I can't. That that's the, the thing is, I look around and there's all these grown men wearing these uniforms, and it sometimes makes me feel a little weird. I always wanted one of those uniforms. Yeah, when I saw yours, I was actually jealous. I know, but this is like you know, when we were doing Cub Scouts. Cub yeah. Scouts was like the minors. This is like the majors. It's a right? little more fun. Like I'm intimidated by all these dads that know how to like make make a fire out of like uh, you know a shoelace and a freaking you know what's that guy's name screwdriver jim or john you know which one i don't know there's like nine assistant scoutmasters they're very militaristic Um, i wouldn't go that far well they're very like like sir yes sir stuff like that no no. that's what when we went to the boy scout like they were trying to sell us their oh none of those guys are there anymore oh yeah i thought that was wait a minute militaristic Oh no! That yeah, all those guys. The are kids still are there. standing at attention, and yeah, that was sir. Yes, sir. I haven't seen much of that. It's not like that. No. Let, so, so the Klondike Derby, which right. is what the scouts do, uh, it's like the Pinewood Derby, but instead of building a little car, yeah, they tie you to a rope and you have to pull a sled around Jesus. the woods uh, with no snow on the ground. Huh? So you basically are like um, a husky. That's interesting. Your, your child is a husky, and huh. and then you compete. You go to like a station, yep. and then you have to boil water. You have to start a fire and boil a pot of water, and then you get a little gold nugget. And you move to the next station, right? So last week they had a practice for this, and I showed up because Ben was going to do it, and I kind of got into it, and I was like, you know what? I asked the scoutmaster. I'm like, uh, hey, can you mind if I hang out? You know, and so he's like, no, it's great. And then we got to talking, and then he was like, hey, so you know, maybe you should come and be an assistant scoutmaster yeah. and all this stuff. And I was, I was sort of noncommittal. And then I got an email yesterday where they're like, here's fill out the paperwork and have it to us by the end of the yeah. week. I wouldn't. And I'm do like, it. shit. Um, we got too much work to do here, Mike. 
Yeah, I, and and I kind of been putting them off, but like I have trouble saying no. Me too. And so Me too. you know, especially something like this when it's like it's your you know, kid. We, we need the help they and all this, you. and I'm like you know, it feels good to be needed. Yeah. So I don't know. I sent the paperwork in. All right. So now I don't know, but I told them, I said, well, my work schedule, I don't know what's going to happen, you know? And it got me to thinking like, and I, and I was talking to a couple people about this on the discord today. Like, do you remember like when you guys came, um, to the camp, we've talked about this on the show before you came to the camp out at the yeah. shift scout reservation, the all drunk- the parents were drinking like yes. fish. Yes. Right. And, uh, that was so non like, like scout light like no. that should not have happened no and i was i felt terrible that it was happening as it was happening and um so i just i am hoping but you were drinking back then weren't you yeah but at those events i get very squirrely about I'm that the shit, same way because you know? i was in my addiction pretty heavy and i was saying no because i was still pretending to be sober to my you know most people yeah i actually had a bottle of wine in my tent so i wasn't <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> but it was like, it was just like a nice uh, Pinot Noir from Oregon. And oh, of course. Just, yeah. you know, I only had a, like a couple glasses and as a result, I had insomnia all night and because, you know, Ugh. Keith snores and so like three tenths over it. Was yeah. like, anyway, so I'm hoping that this time these guys are a little more dialed into the scout ethos and there's not going to be so much boozing because if there is, I'm just going to say, you know, sorry guys, I, I'm going to. I'm not going to I had to tell them like two times I didn't want to, you know, and that was even harder for me because I really wanted to go drink mm-hmm. at the time. Yes. I, but I had to keep saying, you know, and they, they put it to you like, why don't you come be with us? Right. You know, come sit around the fire, sit have a beer, the fire, be with, and, yeah. and you're, you're basically rejecting, you know, being friends with them. That's right. the way it feels. But, uh. and this is why I'm worried about reengaging with a group of dads none of whom don't drink as far as i'm aware right you know so there's going to be opportunities not at scout events but i'm sure there's socializing that goes on at you know at other times like after maybe the leaders meetings or whatever and and do i really want to get involved in that like i don't know i don't know you know it's just like one extra thing that i that i have to worry about you know and not like i worry about it because i can say no to drinking that's not the issue it's no but i mean that's an important thing to be mindful of like um i mean i'm a believer that when you find your groove in sobriety you just like it says in the big book you can go anywhere you're free you can trust but that doesn't mean you should yeah right i just i I just don't want to like be like the odd guy out yeah you know i'd rather i like they can have their little yeah. thing and puts uh, you in an awkward position. Be, yeah. It's anyway, so I'm still kind of thinking of that over. The Klondike Derby got canceled for Saturday <laughs> because yes. we're expecting like a foot and a half of snow. Apparently, well, that's the other uh, insult to my injury here. My, one of my last know, Saturdays, you have, to, you have to do this during the middle of a blizzard. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I don't know. So what else happened this week? I uh, snake I, tank. Oh yeah. Snake My son tank. and I finished building our snake tank, uh, his <laughs> snake tank. Um, Do you have a snake? Or you just, yeah, he's got a hog nose. So where was this snake it's staying a, it's up a, until now? It's in another it, tank in his room. It, <laughs> but, we, but we designed and built this thing from scratch. No plans except in our heads. And that could have gone really wrong. It should have. By all, by all right. I tell you, if I'd, if I'd still been drinking, it would have went really wrong. But oh God, um, the I things would, I built drinking. All the pieces fit together. You know, there was very little, very few gaps that a snake could potentially escape from and end up in Aaron's side of the bed. You don't want <laughs> you know? that snake to get uh, out. So, yeah. yeah, that was good. And then the other day, I had to go back to the Whole Foods, that big uh, alcohol display. 
Uh-huh. That I talked about last week, and I bought a six pack of IPA. Well, what about my uh, non alcoholic whiskey? Yeah, I'm not buying. That. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, because I will be sipping that, and I feel like it's disgusting. And why would I? That's what I feel. <laughs> like, why am I going to spend forty dollars on a bottle of fake whiskey? It would be a, is an even better question. Yeah, uh, but anyway, I was making fish and chips, and I needed two beers for the recipe. So instead of buying real ones, I bought fake ones. That seems to do the trick. Well, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Um, now I have four more non-alcoholic IPAs in my refrigerator. Speaking of snake tanks, my uh, Noah wants a frog. There's a segue. Yeah. <laughs> Noah wants a frog. And does that involve, because I want your advice. Like if we did get a frog, don't we have to build a terrarium or something? <sighs> my friend, it depends on the type of frog. Oh, fuck. Right. There are there are aquatic frogs. There are semi-aquatic frogs. There are land frogs. There are toads. I want the kind that tastes good sautéed, you know, just in case something goes wrong. Well, those make... Oh, the one thing I will advise you when you're buying a frog. Yes. Make sure you get one that doesn't make noise at night. Is everyone writing this down? If you're, if you're out there looking for a frog, you don't want a noisy one. It is extremely important because the male frogs will croak incessantly at night. <laughs> RMA nights, everyone. Um, That's funny. Yeah, it's very funny. Um, yeah, man, I, my head is is so all over the place. Um, I don't know how I've stayed sober through all of this. I mean, I do know how, but like, I think to myself, if I stayed sober through all of this store closing and everything, there are boxes everywhere. There's a dismembered. Uh, I know that's, that's mannequin scaring me. Um, you why, know, why did you take the arms off of that thing? I don't remember why I did it. Um, it's a oh, female mannequin, too. Can you put a shirt on that thing? I'll tell you a funny story. Um, she was out there. That's Eileen. Liz is still... I named the mannequins, which is another story. And, uh, you know, people are coming in, and they are picking me clean. You know, I call them the vultures, but they really are doing me a favor. But a woman wanted the clothes off the mannequin. And... Uh, <laughs> I have a thing where I'm always like, I don't feel right undressing mannequins like in the front window. Like there's been a couple of times where I was changing the mannequin. Do you bring the mannequin into the back room? So I did. (laughs) So for this one, the woman's like, I want those leggings. And I'm like, okay, I picked her up. I'll be like, I'll be right back. (laughs) I don't want you to see me manhandling the mannequin. No, it makes me feel awkward. So, you know, people have been coming in. Did you get the... Did you get the pants off the mannequin? I did. Yeah. I saw, see, she's got no pants on. Uh, oh, I just noticed the legs. You know, so uh, all week this week, uh, I'm clearing out the store. I've been helping the landlord, uh, you know, show the place and help uh, a new business come in. But it's, uh, you know, this is this was like my recovery job. Yeah. Um, I conceived of this just months after I got out of um, out of rehab. When the best decisions are made. You know, um <laughs> And it really kept me busy. You know, I nearly died in the back. Yeah. Uh, but since then, it's been very good for me. I, in fact, the job I have now, I'm going to be a, the human resources director or manager of this big company that's, that's, awesome. that's nearby. So I get to be around people. I get to implement um, things like, you know, if someone is having an alcohol problem, they can come to me and I can get them in rehab. Hmm. And I think that this is maybe like a sign. This is something that... I don't know. I feel like this is a great opportunity. I can help them build their company from the ground up. They need people to be hired. They need a human face on management. 
instead right. of you know a lot of times owners and managers are not good with employees do you, so. do you find uh dealing with people in a position of authority like that to be stressful uh it like, depends but you have i have to fire people don't you i would yeah i have to hire and fire but i have worked very closely with some of the worst lunatics and sociopaths in business oh so you learned a lot from them? I'm, i've learned how to <laughs> I, I'm very good at compartmentalize. I'm good at handling them good. and um, and managing them. Even though, you know, so I'm going to use all of the skills I've learned over the years uh, running businesses and you know that sort of thing. So I'm excited for it. But again, it's sad. A lot of people are coming in, and a woman told me her son was so upset we were leaving because I always give the kids double bubble. They come in right. and they stop on their way back from school. And, you know, I just wanted to be the friendly store clerk who everybody, you know, likes. And the kids, they never buy anything, but they come in for the gum. And You know, people know. are going to remember you. Those kids 40 years from now are going to yep. think of you the same way they think about Mr. Wilson who would give them a slice of bologna. Hanafy, Mr. Hanafy. Hanafy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm you're going to be the Mr. Hanafy of this generation. Yeah, you know. Remember and, that nice guy Nat with the sports store who used to give us free candy. And that made, what was up with that guy? Yeah, what was wrong with him? <laughs> Did you ever go in the back? No. Um, <laughs> he had mannequins there with no clothes <laughs> he on. He had a dismembered mannequin <laughs> in the back. But you know that makes me feel good. You know, I got a chance to watch kids grow, and like a kid came in uh, to say goodbye that I. He was, you know, that age between like 10 and 14 mm -hmm. where they become men, basically. Right. So it was one of those kids. And I, you know, it was just great to see him. And I made so many great friends. And uh, miraculously, um, people did not find out that I, I had the incident in the back. Really. Mm. So I lucked out there. The people who know were just being respectful. So I'm very excited to move forward. Um, I'm hoping that with this new job, it's going to give me some... Uh, you know, some consistency so that we can do things like I want to get my smart recovery certificate yeah, yeah, we can uh, get facilitator. On I want to get a master's degree in either social work or something else. And Just take uh, some time to get settled in the new thing. And then we'll, yeah, you know, we'll talk about the, the future of the company. Yeah. Our little venture. And this is going really well. It's exciting. Uh, another exciting thing happening in my life is um, I've been doing a lot more work with Dopey. Um, and mm. so I've been working very closely with Dave over there and it's been very exciting for me um, helping, you know, I get, I listen to some of the shows before he puts them out and I give him notes and it's, it's been really cool because I am a fanboy and, and um, I'm helping them get more traffic and stuff and it's going to be good for RMA, which will be good for Dopey. And we're going to move this all together. All ahead full. So I'm looking forward to 2022, even though this is kind of a dark time. There's a lot of light. When do you sleep? I don't. I wake up to pee a lot. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I've been waking but, up lately like 2 a.m. and then having a hell of a time trying to get back to sleep. The three, the, the, the trinity for me, the RMA trinity mm -hmm. is persistence, can, wait, be consistent, persistent, and enthusiastic, and the rest will come. That's well, how does that help you get to trademark. sleep, though? Oh, well, it doesn't, you know. <laughs> All right. The sleeping just does. I, I get a decent amount of sleep. But, yeah. um, hey, we have to call Aaron soon. Yeah, we got time. All right, good. Um, and, uh, anyway, I'm very excited um, yeah. awesome. for the future, and I'm excited for RMA. Um, I booked a vacation this week. Why did you do that? Why? Because oh, yeah. I can't take it. I, I need to get away. You I need got, to get out of my house. Well, when do I have to take off work? <laughs> you just Oh, well... <laughs> I mean, you and I already have a date planned for February 11th. Yes. Well, did you clear that with the wife? I did. Yeah. I have to clear it with my wife, but I'm sure it's fine. What? You have to ask your wife if you can go out, go well, have a play date? Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> That's what it is, right? It's a play date. It's, I, this is a, a significant thing because the last time you and I went to a prog rock show together, we were both <laughs> drinking. And, you right. may, and had you had crack in your pocket, we would have smoked it together. We would have. But now both of us are sober and we're going to see like the lead guitarist and several mem- original members of Jethro Tull. Uh, yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> and it all happened the same way as the Yes concert. It did. You got the tickets right. and your wife was like, don't care. <laughs> And you were like, I know who will care. My wife would go with me, but then she, you know, when I was trying to pick out the seats at the auditorium, yeah. and I'm like, well, what about these? And I like, I have to pee a lot, so can I sit on the aisle? You know, and she's like, um, she's like, I don't care about this band whatsoever. You, we can sit wherever you want. Wait, where is it? Uh, Malloy College. Oh, right, right. In Rockville Center. Okay, I can't use my LIU alumni there. Sorry, All it's right. not at. Uh, it's not that close. I wish it was. Mm. That'll be great. I, I'm so excited. I'm a huge Jethro Tull fan. In fact, yeah. Mike sent me a version of Thick as a Brick that he played, you know, three different parts on, which was very good. Thank you. Uh, you guys may not realize this, that Mike can play that thing, man. Um, really can, cool song. Mike can play that thing. Not a euphemism. So anyway, so we're going to Miami. Well, that should be fun. Yeah. I think. Miami Beach. What are you going to do? Just sit on the beach? No, I can't do that. No. I'm not a sit on the beach guy. Me neither. We're going to the Everglades and doing all that stuff. Nice. Yeah. Well, that'll be fun. Uh, yeah. I'm a getting lot. a little crazy sitting in the house. There's a lot of vacation talk in my house. That's actually Is there? a bit of a disagreement that we're having. Oh, why? I, Where um, do you want to go? I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> I, I don't. You know, and I, I'm definitely a stick in the mud, but my life is in such upheaval right now. No, I can understand. You know, I'm starting a new job, and I just, you know, my wife and I are different in that sense, and and thank God for her, because if she didn't push these vacations, like like Mexico and things like Mm -hmm. that, I would never do it, and I'm always glad that we went. We have a great time. Just the thought of going to London right now, to me, just, I can't can't even, I don't know what I'm going to be doing next week, you know, I... Do you have all the passports? Because you need the passports. We got them for Mexico. Oh, right. So all of that's in line. But the problem is we have, or it's not really a problem, we have uh, family in Greece on my wife's side. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother-in-law really, 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 really wants us to go to Greece because um, her late husband was from Greece. And so there's family over there that, you know, it's, it's like we're connected, you know, it's family that we want to see. And oh. I, I want to see them too. And it, we had a great time the first time we met. I've never kissed so many men in my life. <laughs> Not since college, anyway. And um, it, it's great in Greece. The, uh, <laughs> That's funny. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, it's just, for me, it's so hard to fathom taking a trip to London in like five months even. You know, I need to focus on but this. London's new- like flying... California. I don't it's not know. not that far. Maybe. I need someone to talk me into it because I'm feeling like right now I just want to hunker down. I want to figure out this new job I'm going to have. I want to focus on RMA. I want to spend time with my family, not in an airport or in some weird country or staying on one of our relatives. England's not a weird country. Wait, are you going to Greece or are you going to England? Well, that's the thing. It would be both. Greece and England? If we go to England, we got to go to Greece. Oh, that reminds me of a joke. <laughs> Um, so it's, it's a joke that somebody who was in the, um, what do you call it? Guys that work in embassies, like ambassadors, uh, foreign service. Yes. Right. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a foreign service joke. If Chad invaded Djibouti, would Greece help? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Get it? Yes. Okay. Yes. 
Yes, I get it. But um, anyway, in any uh, case, I I'm gonna be. I'll be happy to go to England and Greece, and it's just my initial. Uh, you know, I have social anxiety too, yeah, so to yeah. go there and. But you know, I, I'll. I would have fun, I'm sure. So, no, you're you're not always going to be this state of anxiety. So, and you, unfortunately, these trips you have to plan them in advance, which is the hard part. Because yeah. we always wait to the last minute, and then we pay three times what it could it would have cost us if we had well, booked it six months before. Well, that's the thing. You know, my wife's talking about. Well, if we get, you know get it now, it's the price goes up yeah, and yeah. everything like that. Um, I Are did we boring the audience. We were boring them. <laughs> Sorry. I wanted to. I, I was talking to Sergeant Slaughter uh, this week. If you guys don't remember. He's uh, one of my best friends. I grew up with him, and he's a fan of the show. And he's a, he's a, um, a sergeant in the NYPD. And um, we were talking about a recent news story about two officers, NYPD officers, Jason Rivera and Wilbert Mora, uh, mm. that were shot in Harlem while uh, responding to a domestic violence call. And um, I was talking to Sergeant Slaughter on the phone, and... <clears throat> You're just, you know, he's, of course, upset he's going sure. to the funeral. And this is a hard thing, but it really drives home the point about our first responders, our police officers who are dealing with trauma on a daily basis, their entire careers, basically. Not mm. all of them, of course, but even if it, you're not directly experiencing the trauma, you know, it's it's in your job. It's people you know or people, you know, and you're you're dealing with this and how difficult it is and the fact that there's so many first responders that struggle with drugs and alcohol. And oh, because isn't that part of that is the culture, right? That, that, you know, it's better to go out and, you know, drink the, drink the trauma away rather right. than sit down and, and have a heart to heart with a psychiatrist or a psychologist or something. And, and, yeah. you know, in some ways the structure is set up that way. It, it could be. Yeah. It sounds that way. I mean, I know that when you do go for help, like I met a ton of um, police officers who were sent to rehabs mm-hmm. when I was in rehab that uh, their unions would send them to. Right. You know, uh, and it's just um, it's worth noting, you know, think about our first responders and, uh, their, you know, all, yeah. everything they're going through. And um, if uh, you're a listener out there who's a first responder, we thank you. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a sad thing, but there is help out there. And uh, many of them are getting help. Great. Um, are we uh, doing the thing? We should do the thing. We, uh, okay, right now, RMA Productions and SoberLiningsPlaybook.com presents Grant Boykin's The Big Three with SLP. That is the wrong. Was it? I don't know. Was that Grant? Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> the Big Three with SLP. Okay. Here's Grant. Take it away, Grant. RMA listeners and fellow monksters, I'm Grant Boykin with Sober Linings Playbook, and this is The Big Three with SLP. That's right. Just when you thought this show couldn't get any longer, they've added a new segment. Ah. The Big Three is an end-of-the-month wrap-up of my picks for the top three items Sober Linings Playbook has been following in the world of addiction and recovery. The headlines, opinion pieces, latest research, compelling new books and movies, and more. I am by no means an expert, just a curious and interested reader and observer. Keep coming back, and together, you and I will explore the big headlines on stories such as the opioid litigation, state and federal drug and treatment laws and policy, and celebrity relapse and recovery. But we'll also take a look at some of the stories that are less well-covered and less well-known, stories that speak to innovations and research on addiction and treatment, 
and that shed light on diverse experiences with addiction and recovery. If the big three merely whets your appetite and leaves you hungering for more, please look for links to the stories I mention here in the show notes or visit Silver Linings Playbook at silverliningsplaybook.com where you'll find the, we- the Wednesday Weekly, the most comprehensive surf- source for weekly addiction and recovery news clips, as well as updates on relevant California legislation. And beginning this month, original articles and interviews with authors, experts, and influencers in the sober sphere. What three items are on tap for this installment? One is a bit of a rehash. Another is a look at gender and addiction. And one is a review of a new book that's sure to be a staple of bookshelves and bibliographies everywhere. First, the rehash. I'm calling it Goodbye to Dry. The end of January marks the end of dry January headlines. And if I never see another headline about a 30-day alcohol-free reboot, at least until sober October rolls around, it'll be too soon. Don't get me wrong. I think it's great to encourage people to take a month away from drinking, to test the sobriety waters and see whether they feel better without alcohol. But repeated stories of abstinence as quaint oddity or fun challenge can get old to those of us who think there's nothing quaint or odd about it. And the focus on benefits such as clear skin and increased energy can downplay serious consequences such as cancer and cardiac risks that can be significant even at moderate levels of drinking. So for our final word on dry January, I just wanted to highlight a few stories in particular. A January 7th Wine Spectator article set out to answer the question of whether alcohol-free wines taste good. The result? No surprise here. The author described the alcohol-free wines he tasted as, quote, alternative beverages with wine-like elements rather than wine substitutes. Not exactly a ringing endorsement. The most, one of the more interesting parts of the story for me was the description of the high-tech process used to remove alcohol from the wine. But what really caught my attention is that alcohol-free wines, unlike their alcoholic cousins, must include nutrition labels because they're not classified as wine by the FDA. Go figure. It's only when the most toxic component is removed that a nutrition label is required. A January 14th article in the food and entertainment publication Delish provided an overview of the sober curious movement. Generally speaking, the sober curious are people who don't necessarily identify as being addicted to alcohol, but nonetheless choose to limit or eliminate alcohol from their lives to realize the benefits to be gained. My favorite quote from the article, quitting drinking is something most of us are never given the opportunity to even consider. Society never really talks about it. Only alcoholics quit drinking, unquote. I try, I try not to dwell on the past, but I do sometimes wish I had discovered recovery through curiosity rather than necessity. So it makes me happy that the Sober Curious movement is giving people space and acceptance to be curious and alcohol-free with less fear of stigmatizing labels. And finally, a January 13th story on Insider.com sheds light on the science behind the sugar cravings many of us experience when we first give up alcohol or other drugs. It's not solely the body's desire to replace the sugars we got from alcohol, but because both sugar and alcohol stimulate dopamine. This is a good piece that generated a lot of discussion on the RMA Facebook group. Moving on, item two, gender and addiction. SLP's Wednesday weekly news clips often include stories about how gender influences addiction and recovery. A few examples, 
Research finds women are more susceptible to certain health problems at lower levels of consumption than men. Women, who are more likely to be a family's primary caregiver, feel less able to take time away for residential or even outpatient treatment. And some would say women face even greater stigma for addiction than men. Addiction during pregnancy is another issue women face that men obviously don't. In a recent Newsweek story, reports that California Attorney General Rob Bonta is calling for women not to be prosecuted for losing their fetuses, even if drug use contributed to the loss. According to the story, Bonta's stance was in response to two recent cases where women in California's Central Valley, who allegedly used methamphetamines during pregnancy, were charged with fetal murder for the deaths of their stillborn children. Lawmakers amended the state's homicide law in 1970 to include fetuses, but Bonta argues this was in the context of violence done to, done to a pregnant woman, resulting in the death of a fetus, and that the law doesn't apply to deaths caused by the action of the pregnant woman herself. The AG's move to halt prosecutions of women whose unborn fetuses' deaths are linked to drugs will certainly be viewed as controversial by some, But as Bonta points out, prosecuting pregnant women struggling with addiction is likely to cause them to avoid seeking treatment, which only serves to create more harm, not less. And on that note, one of the stories in the Wednesday Weekly Clips from January came from a local news outlet in Ohio reporting on a program specifically aimed at helping women by providing mental health and addiction treatment services during pregnancy and after. This is probably an area of treatment where there's great need for additional services. And that brings us to our final item. My third item is a new book by Columbia University psychiatry professor and bioethicist, Dr. Carl Eric Fisher. In his book, The Urge, Our History of Addiction, Fisher examines how societies have understood and addressed addiction throughout history. His look at mutual help organizations goes back to the Washingtonians about 100 years before the birth of Alcoholics Anonymous. He also turns the lens on himself and his own journey through addiction and recovery. And Fisher argues we tend to view and treat addiction through singular approaches, such as prohibition or medicalization that have shifted over time. He calls for more nuanced and multifaceted solutions. He also takes issue with the overly simplistic conception of addiction as disease and makes the case that addiction exists on a continuum rather than as a binary either-or condition. I had the great pleasure of interviewing Dr. Fisher earlier this month. You can view that interview at SoberLiningsPlaybook.com. Read it, I should say, or view it. And I urge you to check out his book, The Urge, which was released on January 25th. Also, tune into his podcast, Flourishing After Addiction where he interviews many of the experts whose work he cites in his book. And that, my friends, is the big three for January 2022. Be well, monksters. I'll be back next month, hopefully a little bit less nervous. So stay tuned. All right. That's right. (laughs) Sorry. Thank Uh, you. Thank you, Grant. That was awesome. Uh, And I appreciate you bringing all uh, that information to our listeners. Yeah, so that was the big three, the first, very first episode of the big three with SLP from uh, RMA's very own Grant Boykin, and uh, the crazy (laughs) intro music, so thank you so much for that, expect one of those every month, and I think we're going to put it together with um, uh, Get Smart with Aaron. 
uh, and we are going to call her right now. We are. We're going to talk about uh, negative self-talk in our main topic discussion and get smart with Aaron. Is this a little loud? Uh, <laughs> God damn this shit. Hello. Hello, Aaron. Hey. How are you? We made it. <laughs> I'm well. How about yourself? Well, oh, we're just a little... having a hell of a time here. Yeah, a hell of a time. This is weird. Doing this at night just is... I don't know if I've got the same kind of like... I don't know. I don't yeah, you know. definitely have the same kind of something. Do I then? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, this is Get Smart with Aaron. Welcome to the show, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, Aaron. <laughs> Thank you. Back to Thanks, you. Thanks, guys. Um, we, uh, cutting out for a second there. Oh, yeah, we're cutting out. We're having all kinds of funny technical difficulties. Cutting in, we're cutting out, we're cutting up. We're cutting it up. <laughs> we had a really great uh, an RMA meeting um, in, uh, on, on Sunday, and there were some great topics that came up. So I thought, since we were having Aaron on, uh, that we could get into negative self-talk that kind of came up in the meeting. And, and we think it's real, I think it's really important to be your own best, you know, cheerleader sometimes, but it's so easy to, to fall into the patterns of, you know, I'm an asshole. I suck at everything. I mean, Mm -hmm. these are the things I say to my, you know, used to say to myself. Yes. And uh, so I thought it'd be a great topic for, for us to discuss tonight. Yeah. I mean, it's such an important topic. Uh, I think for humans in general, but you know, particularly for people in recovery. Um, and, you know, I, I put some thought into it. Like I thought, you know, how, how it's an interesting, um, you know, discussion on a group level, but also, you know, trying to come up with some, you know, I don't know what the solution is for everybody, but I do know that I always like to have um, ideas presented or suggestions when someone tells me, you know, you should X, Y, Z. And I'm like, but how though? Right. Um <laughs> So, you know, I mean, I thought about this in terms of, um, like, okay, I'm not, first of all, a disclaimer, I am not a therapist. Um, <laughs> I am not a licensed therapist or anything like that, but I have worked in the mental health and treatment field um, long enough to kind of pick up on one of the main, like, communication techniques and um, a lot of people have heard of it or talked about it, but it's um, motivational interviewing is something that's used in like uh, dialectical behavioral therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy. But um, I'm always interested in, you know, we can kind of counsel other people, but how can we use something like that? you know, sort of inward to, you know, toward ourselves. Um, And the idea behind motivational interviewing is like really to come up with some solutions, but for the person, say they're a client or a sponsee or just a friend um, and obviously turning it inward to yourself, you know, to come up with some, you know, to identify the problem 
and to be able to find really almost your own way to solution through, you know, the other person sort of uh, doing this uh, active listening and, and kind of prompting. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me- you know, and so, yeah, that's what I know. It's a lot of information. I'll, I'll go into a little bit more about it, but what do you guys think? Well, let me ask you a question. Why do you think it is that people who are in recovery seem to have so much more negative self-talk and negative self-impressions than a lot of other people? Because I always assumed that everybody walked around saying, Jesus, what a fucking idiot I, I am, you know. But, but it comes, I come to find out that many people do not have that internal dialogue that's so negative. And I wonder what it is. I mean, sure, sure there's Wild, the, right? a, the aggregation, like... You know, you you make a bunch of bad decisions for years about, you know, substance abuse, and maybe that leads you to a negative self-perception. But, like, it just seems like it's really endemic in, in people in recovery who have, you know, it's it's all self-esteem wrapped up, uh, you know. Yeah, it and, goes and along with the shame of it all. Yeah. Maybe. So. Yeah. I don't well, know. Well, you know, it kind of goes back to, like, several of our discussions, we kind of, uh ended up circling back around to um, sort of, I don't know, the chicken or the egg idea, or like, um, when you think about it, what makes us more susceptible to, uh, you know, problematic substance use or, uh, you know, alcohol use? Typically, um, you know, just statistically speaking, we tend to have a higher amount of like, um, you know, uh, adverse, you know, childhood experiences, um, you know, trauma that sometimes stems from really young, uh, childhood and, you know, young adulthood, adolescence. So I think that a lot of that goes hand in hand. Like a lot of us didn't get very, um, healthy self-talk from the adults around us growing up. Yeah. And that's not to say everybody's in that position, but, uh, you know, I think that's why maybe we tend toward that more because we also tend to have all these, um, you know, other experiences that make us question our self-worth sometimes. Yeah, um, I was just thinking, I wrote this down while you were talking because it made me think about, you know, in my life, my parents were, were very, um, they would praise me a lot. And sometimes it was a left-handed compliment type of thing. But for the most part, it was too much praise. But what I really heard instead of that was I heard the way my, you know, my dad was a big self-deprecating humor kind of guy. <clears throat> and my mom, and I didn't notice this till I, I, be, I got sober and got well, she does it a lot. She's always saying, oh, I'm not good enough to do that. Or my dad, who's a very, you know, smart, accomplished person, you know, anytime I would suggest something like, yeah, you should write a book, you know, I'm always like trying to get him to do creative things. And he would always say, no, I'm not, I can't do that. Or I'm not one of those people who can write books, you know, and Mm -hmm. he could, of course he could write a book. He's brilliant. You know, he reads a million books, but it's also, you know, a lot of learned behavior for me, I think. And I only really started to hear it. Uh, once I got recovery and just having passing conversations. So I think, you know, either if they're, they're doing that to you, telling you you're bad, you know, but in my case, I feel like I just heard that that was the kind of talk they were doing. And then maybe I just picked it up. 
I mean, it's definitely grounded in in childhood and how your parental behavior and and your adverse childhood experiences. Because yeah. you know, if you're not getting that praise, if you're not getting that reinforcement, if someone is not talking to you in a healthy way, you are internalizing this idea that there's something wrong with you. And then that translates later on into I'm a fucking idiot or, you know, all that, all that other negative self-talk. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I yeah. got way into that. Yeah. Well, that's true. Um, you know, and a lot of the messages that, well, in general, we send to each other aren't verbal, you know, I mean, mm. they say, you know, oh, well, maybe 90% or so of our um, communication is nonverbal. Mm. You think about, you know, maybe our, maybe we didn't have parents that told us we were a piece of shit, but, you know, it could be that they felt that way about themselves and, and you know, there's no way not to pick that up, um, you know, just as a, like, generational uh, trauma thing or some generational baggage. Um, you know, so a lot of times those messages are passed down, um, unwittingly and, you know, just in the way that, uh, people behave and, and the way they move through their lives and, you know, don't fulfill their potential or talk about, you know, self-talk is really important. And we, we downplay that, I think, um, you know, I don't need to be like, yeah, you're the shit all day long right. in my head. <laughs> but like that's narcissism. Yeah, exactly. That, that's that's <laughs> like psychopathy, right? Yeah, it's like, the, the flip side. <laughs> I'm yeah. the best. It's grandiosity. I, I don't know, but where's the balance? I I actually got this great article that I I was reading before because we were I was cramming to like have something you know <laughs> worthwhile to say about this, but I found this really great article. And, uh, and it sort of lays it out a little bit. Uh, so I'm just going to read a little bit from that. And uh, just the topic, well, I'm not going to read the whole article, but like, what is negative self-talk? Uh, negative self-talk can take many forms. It can sound grounded. I'm not good at this, so I should avoid attempting it for my own personal safety, <laughs> for example. Or it's downright wow. mean. I never do anything right. Uh, the musings of your inner critic may sound a lot like a critical parent or friend from mm-hmm. your past. It can follow the path of typical cognitive distortions, catastrophizing, blaming, and the like. So that's interesting because we were talking about the parents, and then you know they're saying that the inner voice can sort of be like, uh, like a, a reprimanding or scolding, disapproving yeah. parent. That's interesting. And what does that do to your motivation, like to go to move forward in life? If you const- if you if you've internalized this belief that you can't do anything, yeah. I mean, negative self talk yeah. can really you know can really damage you. I think. You know. Yeah, and like I think there's a difference between like some of us tend to be a little more self deprecating. Some of it's because we're uncomfortable with praise or. It can be a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. I, you know, have, I am basically made up of red flags and MSI strip coping mechanisms. Like, (laughs) that's pretty much my entire makeup. So, you know, it's like we're, you know, what's healthy, what's not. Like, I can make a joke about myself. And, you know, sometimes that helps me to not take myself too seriously. But at the same time, you know, how much of it do we pick up if it's most of our self-talk? You know, even if I can say, well, I'm not internalizing it. There's only so many times I can call you a fucking moron before you start to think that maybe I think that you are. Mm. 
Um, and I would never do that because I, you guys are not morons. But if I said it enough times, it would make you, you know, it would make you feel a certain way. And I can go throughout my day and be like, oh, you fucking dumb bitch, you know, if I do something that, you know, and sometimes it's just to be silly, but sometimes, you know, it's because my expectations of myself are really high and, you know, um, in weird, in weird areas though, like I'm not an overachiever by any means, um, which is kind of funny given the perfectionist I am and the Virgo and Mm -hmm. the perfectionism. But that's, yeah, and I'm like, well, how yeah. come I don't have a fucking PhD? What the fuck? Yeah. Like, what did I do with all this perfectionism besides beat myself down? That's so funny that you said that because I was just looking over this article and the notes here, and one of the consequences, they list a bunch of these consequences of nev- negative self-talk, but perfectionism is one of them. Uh, it says, you know, the way they put it is you begin to really believe that great isn't as good as perfect and that perfection is actually attainable. You know, in contrast, mere high achievers tend to do better than their perfectionist counterparts because they are generally less stressed and are happy with a job well done. And I tell this to myself all the time, and I'm maybe, you know, to the point of it being damaging, but that if you, you know, if you go for the perfect, you lose the good, you know, but at some point, you know, I I don't want to settle for not Mm -hmm. good enough. So it's kind of about this balance. It really is, because I don't know about you, I set very high standards for myself. And when I don't meet them, I'm extremely hard on myself. And it's something that I... I've been working on and you, be, but it's easy to like sort of see that as just, um, you know, ambition maybe, or, you know, tag it with the name of a healthier emotion, like drive, grit, yeah. whatever you want to call it. But it's kind of like the difference between when a woman speaks out, she's, uh, aggressive right? Right? or emotional. And when a guy speaks out there, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 very true. <laughs> you hear a lot you of know, that. If it's me, I'm like, you dumb asshole. I would never talk to one of my children that way. Yeah, ever. right. Mm. Right. But we're, we're different with ourselves. Being hard on themselves. Yeah. Like, you know, and we, how much one that comes back to ego in a certain way. Right. I, you know, it's all into that. And, uh, you know, uh, even, you know, I won't go into like the 12 step concept of ego or any of that. Um, that aside, sometimes I, I do think that, we fit that perfect description of being uh, in this. I mean, people in uh, with substance use uh, disorders and and alcohol use disorders tend to fall into this category. In my experience, of people who are like egomaniacs with the inferiority complex, right? Yeah, I love that one. So I think I should be invincible. I can go, you know, from grandiose, just like it does say in in one of the uh, basic readings from uh, a 12 step fellowship, you know, I'm either the top of the heap or the bottom of the pile. Mm. And, uh, you know, I don't know how to just be right. Um, That's Buddhism, right? That's what Mike's always talking about. Just learning how to it. And that comes down to acceptance, you know, because I feel like well, for just me, being medium, right? You know, just, just being just a regular fucking dude, right? Because that'll lead to depression, and depression feeds more, uh, more addiction. You know, so if I'm constantly not living up to some, you know, outlandish standard, you know, mm. I will be depressed over it. So learning how to be, you know, you know, to see what you like, just this thing with my store. You know, I'm this whole week I've been talking myself out of. 
I'm a failure, you know, all of that stuff, because I'm trying to look at what are the good things that came out of this experience mm -hmm. and, and to make it right size though, you know, like, and there's a lot of good that came out of this and the experiences that I got, I ended up getting a job because of it afterwards and all of the, the great people I met, you know, it was not a financial success, but there are other, and it's like looking at other ways to measure success for yourself, I think is, is very important. And it's very hard for people to kind of break outside of the, the societal paradigm of, of what is success. You know, people start doing compare and despair. I mean, it's something I was doing. Well, the, what's the old expression that comparison is the thief of joy, uh -huh. right? Well, yeah. And did anyone ever teach you how, how to lose, how to fail? I've been teaching like, myself. <laughs> yeah, I've been very self-taught. Self <laughs> no, not, <laughs> so, not to, I, I don't mean just experiencing yeah. it constantly, but like, I mean, no one, and I don't know if some of this is generational because I know I also passed this, uh, like nobody taught me how to fail. Wow. Um, mm. You know, nobody, like it was not an option. So a lot of us, uh, had these, like our parents didn't talk about struggles as much. They didn't talk about demotions at work or, you know, um, they didn't talk about losing wow. and how to lose, you know, I, how to lose gracefully. Now, my son has been learning a lot about how to lose gracefully lately because I've been very, and this has been an interesting teaching moment for me and my kids you know, because the, the most of the town, not enough of them to keep it in business, but, you know, a, a lot of people were very sad that we were closing and I had to, you know, we were very public in town because of the store. And, um, and I had to figure out how I was going to couch it and explain it to my kids and take this moment to show them mm -hmm. that, listen, it's okay to walk away from something, to admit that it's not the right thing. And that, you know, just explaining to, I think he fell asleep while I was saying this to him, but <laughs> I was doing really good. I was really like happy with my monologue and, and it was just talking to so him. He's not a listener. No, then. He is not a listener, <laughs> but you know, just to tell him like, you know what? I learned so much more from this failure. And, uh, and then of course I always make the self deprecating joke. If you learn more from failure, then I'm like a genius, <laughs> you know, but it's the truth, you know, trying to show him that, listen, it sucks that we're going out of business, but this is, it was a learning experience. I'm going to, and just to show them like, listen, we're going to move forward. It's still going to be great. I'm going to find something else. And, you know, and just to, to view it that way and not be so like, it's not the biggest catastrophe, you know. That, that's a very yeah. healthy way of looking at failure. I mean, when I was growing up, my parents, my father always struggled. He was small business, uh, you know, never made the kind of money that my mother thought he should make, and she let him know it. They never um, do. Failure was uh, <laughs> was something in my house that was to be avoided at all costs, lest, right. lest there be, you know. Right. So it was considered extremely shameful to fail. Hmm. So, um, so as a consequence, yeah, you know, when I left the house, the yeah. when I started failing, you know, with the drugs and everything, you know, like I, there was no way I could talk to my parents about it. Hmm. There's absolutely no way because it was, it was an acknowledgement of a, of a personal failure. So maybe this is you a know? good right. thing. Admitting <laughs> defeat. Like yeah. I was not, you know, if you, like, I don't know is a great place to be in my life today. Like being at a place where I can say, you know what? I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I don't have the answers, but I was not, you know, and I was raised by a driven, um, you know, very driven, also alcoholic 
uh, mother and, and, uh, I didn't have, you know, she was my primary caregiver. So I only speak to her really, but you know, it was like, you don't give up, you don't give in. And there was this idea that somehow people got in their damn heads that we can do anything we put our minds to. Which is bullshit. Yeah, like, it's not, that's not really there true. There are certain things I can't be. Right. And that's in, such an important lesson, yeah. too. That is important. <laughs> oh. Yeah, did like know your strengths and, and know your weaknesses. This way you can carve a path that makes sense that it, you know, will be rewarding. You know, I'm not, my kids are all short. My whole family is short. And, um, and I always impress upon them, like, that's okay. That's you, you know, maybe you won't be, uh, you know, you can't be in the NBA most likely, you know, but to find the things I'm always encouraging my kids to find their passions and follow that. Mm-hmm. And without and realistically, you know, realistic, you right. know, realistically, and that's kind of what I was thinking about, like the motivational interviewing, you know, when you use it with someone else, basically the idea behind it is and why it's really a successful technique and when I use it on myself it is is because you're identifying you know you're starting out with like open-ended you know questions or open-ended inquiries to yourself or another person like you know what is it that you're you know what what is it that you want to do what are your goals um what would you like to see yourself achieve because we talk a lot about what we don't want I don't want to fail I don't want to be broke I don't this I don't that but if we really, you know, put into thoughts or words or, you know, write it down, um, you know, what what is it that I'm, let me just identify my feelings, right? Let me just identify where I think I should be in the direction of that. And then, you know, they have this acronym, uh, O-A-R-S, that they use kind of, and it basically is like the open-ended inquiry. And then, you know, affirmation, um, you know, kind of like, what are my strengths, right? Mm-hmm. What are, you know, what are the things that I can do? Um, you know, and, and what, you know, along those lines, um, you know, then, you know, kind of trying to overcome some of that sabotage, you know, negative stuff. And then R is reflection. Um, so you can kind of reflect on what have I done so far along these lines that hasn't worked what has worked you know and really like reassessing all the time where am I with this goal like I can say I have this you know goal but if it's not realistic you know if I say well I want to have a master's degree in a year well I mean if I don't have the kind of credits that you know what I mean like setting realistic goals for myself and reflecting on how am I working toward what, what my open-ended inquiry, um, my goals, and then kind of, you know, and then of course S is like summarize. So basically it's putting into like, all right, so I'm going to make my bullet points of going forward. This is what, you know, here's my list. This is what I need to do, or this is, you know, um, what I need to do next to work toward that realistic goal that I set for myself. But the self-sabotage a lot of times comes from not setting realistic goals, you know, from from thinking I should be somewhere that I'm just not. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, I was thinking a little bit about the the relationship between self-sabotage and the fear of success. And 
and how that is related to sort of a negative self um, self vision. The fear of success. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because you know, what is that? Spell that out for me. What is the fear of success? Well, doesn't everybody want success? I maybe outwardly, but I think the subconscious perhaps feels like you're not deserving. Like, what if I don't success? fail? You get so used, to, like I get so used to relapsing and so used to failing. Maybe you know, I I started like, what if I succeed? Is is that why I'm sabotaging? Well, I mean, it's it. it can Mom, even, it's a lot of work to succeed, man. Right? It's it's a lot of work, but then some, you gotta follow through. Well, sometimes <laughs> you do put the work in, and then when you come within like just a, a close to the goal line, like my college degree you, that took right. me twenty five years. Well, right, same here. I mean, you just sort of pull the rug out from under yourself, right? You know, because because success comes with a lot more um, responsibility. Right, it comes with a lot more expectations That's of you. You know, because you yeah, don't think it's success. So, I don't want to do what it takes to get that or maintain that. Like I say, I want it, but, but you know, do I want to put in the work? Well, but underlying that is sort of, it's also self-esteem, right? Cause at some level you feel like you're not deserving mm. of the success that you may have even brought yourself right to the cusp of. Right. And that's because you have a negative, uh, maybe your subconscious is telling you inside that you really are a piece of shit and you're not worth it. I mean, you know? that was my, something I've been trying to get to the bottom of my entire recovery. I mean, these are the conversations I would have with therapists and what is it about me that I hate so much? You know, why, mm. why do I keep sabotaging? And when I finally started looking at this cycle that kept repeating and why I would get this far and then sabotage. And when I started to ask the question, like, why am I doing this? Like, what is making me, you know, when I started looking at it, I feel like then it became possible to break out of the cycle. Yeah. But you, know? you also set, yeah, you also set low expectations inquiry. for yourself. Yeah. Low right. expectations. Yeah, probably. Because, you know, you can use the using or the, or the drinking as an excuse to yourself as to why you can't, aren't accomplishing things. And it's a very comfortable place to be in because, to actually go out there and try and do something, to put yourself out there is yeah. very hard. It's easy to sit in like a cocoon of like a gauzy sort of half drunk every night, yeah. you know, or hang over every day and sort of say, oh, geez, that's why I can't get anything, you know. Done. Yeah, and that's part of what I did here. I feel like when I, I was just uh, talking to Mike earlier about how this store was really like my recovery project. I started this crazy thing like maybe six months after rehab, This the last time I went. And that, you know, this was a real exercise in me going for something that I never thought I could succeed at, something that I thought was would be great, but I thought, I'll never be able to do this. But I said, you know what? This time, I'm going to do it. I mean, ultimately, I didn't, but... Well, I mean, you did it. I did it. You put yourself out there. You took the risk, which is a huge thing to do. It was a huge risk, but it was exciting, and it took a lot of work, and I did it, man. And I... uh, you know, so maybe I've broken yeah. out of that cycle. And knowing when you fold them, you know, when to fold them. Yeah. Uh, even that part of it takes the maturity that a lot of us need to have. Great, great. They you say know? that great ideas are like a dime a dozen, but like it putting something, putting some something from your head out into the world as a, as a, as a thing. Yeah. Like this, that podcast. takes, that takes something. Like we know? did this podcast. I had this idea. We both like got this idea at the same time yeah. talking and I'm like, let's just fucking do it. Yeah. And, and then to go out there to plan it 
and then to execute. Yeah, what do you lose if you record something and nobody listens? Right. I mean, really. We just assume nobody would listen and just to, let's have fun, you know? Yeah. But the two of us would Wait, not have done it ourselves, right? Yeah. There's a couple other people. It might be one or two. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> we did it together, my, you know, and, um, and we're having a good time. This is, you know, this has been so cool. But, you know, for me, I feel like maybe I did make progress. You know, even though the, the the shop did fail ultimately, maybe it didn't fail. But you can't measure it by that, right? right? Like I don't measure the podcast by the number of people that download it. I used to in the in right. the early days. I would look. I would be like, "Why don't we have enough yeah, downloads?" And now it's sort of like I barely even look at it because it's like to me, it's the building of the community, the the getting out there, the doing it, the putting yeah. ourselves out there, to hel- helping other people if we can help them at all. Yeah, it, you know, to me, that's the important thing. That's so right. like. To, to measure, well, you have to measure success by a different metric than money, right. you know? Well, yeah, and that comes through to people, you know? I mean, I I know there are plenty of podcasters and various other, you know, whatever, um, in the entertainment that are obsessed with numbers and obsessed with listeners and obsessed with what they sound like and what other people think they sound like. And, you know, it comes through, like you know, that's, it's not very organic seeming. And of course it kind of flies in the face of like, you're putting on a show and you're recording and yeah. you're producing it. Like, yeah, there's not a whole lot organic about some of the process, right? Mm-hmm. but it absolutely uh, comes across to, to listeners and anybody that we're dealing with when we're full of shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and for me, success, like, I feel like this is successful just because, um, you know, I, you know, I met Aaron and, you know, and we have these relationships yeah. with all these mm-hmm. people on the group and, and they feel, I feel like they're real connections that we're making. And for me, that's something I never thought would happen, but yeah. that's a measure of success we've attained. Like, even if it never does anything else, mm-hmm. I feel like this is already, you know, so measuring, using different measures of success of success. I think that's a great point about how to maybe break through some of this perfectionism that things will never attain. Understanding how to find other points of, you know, success, you know, in whatever you're doing out there. Great point. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Um, this article actually gives us, I love this article. That's why I keep going back to it. Um, it, it actually lists a bunch of like, how do you get out of the negative self-talk? How to minimize it? And, um, and it gives a couple of points. So maybe I'll just tick them off and then and then we could take it where we want. Um, one of the, th- it says catch, it says how to minimize negative self-talk. There are many ways to reduce the self-talk in your daily life. Different strategies work better for different people. So try a few on and see which ones are most effective <laughs> to you. I probably didn't have to read that. So the first one was, <laughs> Catch your critic. Learn to notice when you're being self-critical so you can begin to stop. The next one is remember that thoughts and feelings aren't always reality or yes. feelings aren't facts, as we say. Exactly. You are, you are not your thoughts. Uh, here's a good one. Give your inner critic a name uh, or a nickname. Karen. Uh, Karen, did, did you ever do that, Aaron? You like name your inner addict? I mean, we do that with addiction, but you know, you can also do that with your inner critic. Hmm. Are they the same people? They could be, or they could be multiple people, depending on what you're suffering from. Uh, (laughs) Contain your negativity. If you find yourself engaging in negative self-talk, it helps to contain the damage that a critical inner voice can cause by only allowing it to criticize certain things in your life or be negative. (laughs) Stay in your lane, critical voice. You know, you could walk around screaming, stay out of my head. (laughs) 
<laughs> but that's a good one. Cross. Oh, this yeah. is a good one for lawyers. Cross-examine your inner critic. One of the isn't it true, sir, yeah. that you are a moron? <laughs> one of the uh, yeah. da- damaging aspects of negative self-talk is that it often goes unchallenged. So I like actually all of those, and that all kind of is in the same kind of method that I've been using of when my inner addict starts telling me to do things, I yell at it. Like it is another entity, you mm. know, and so that that's really um, that's interesting. You have to tell it you're not the boss of me. Yeah, you're not the boss of me. Um, I like that. <laughs> here's a good one. Here's a good one. Think like a friend. When our inner critic is at its worst, it can sound like our worst enemy. Um, I've been telling that to a couple of people that have been reaching out or reached out to us uh, for a little bit of support and just trying to get them to see. You know, they kept saying, oh, I relapsed again, or I did it. I wanted that. I said, listen, that's not you. You need mm-hmm. to start thinking of that voice as your worst enemy, someone who you should do the opposite of, someone who wants to destroy your life. And what I've seen is that the people I've been talking to over time mm-hmm. and practicing that technique has really helped. Mm. Um, and that has been... If- I like that one. Don't my favorite is stop that thought. Have you gotten to that one? Stop that thought. Stop that thought by like snapping a rubber band on your wrist, which also sort of explains the whole S and M thing, right? <laughs> How does Dominatrix, that explain right? the S and M thing, Mike? Uh, well, I, I, maybe that's a discussion for another day. Yes, please. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, I have friends that when I have said things about myself they're like hey don't talk about my friend that way mm. yeah, like, cool. oh awkward yeah, yeah. someone you know if i was talking about someone else that was their friend and they said that it would it would stop me in my tracks for sure yeah um that that's funny because you know you ever ever sometimes make like a self-depreciating a, deprecating joke and you think it's funny and then people look at you with horror on their yeah, face like what's wrong with you? Yes. <laughs> just like when i talk about like, any of the things i've ever done in my life I, like the funny stories and people are like oh my god what <laughs> how could you laugh at that yeah it throws people off yeah. sometimes i'm like what you've never done that before you know pick uh med rocks out of a carpet like what's <laughs> God, why did they have to make the little rocks white? I always used to. I don't uh, understand. Used to drive me nuts because I was looking for crack for four hours behind, you know, on the on a rug full of like uh, drop ceiling stuff. And why does it look so much like sheetrock? Yeah. The popcorn it's, ceiling. Yeah, popcorn sheetrock. Um, I've definitely smoked things that were not that. I think that we've, just- we've all been there. But the the final technique they list here. It's my favorite. Cause it's like the, back to the adult shit. Yeah, back to the adult <laughs> shit. I have to bring everybody back here. Um, <laughs> re- <laughs> replace the bad with some good. Um, this is one of the best routes to combating negative self-talk. Replace it with something better. I do this. Let me tell you, this was one of the main techniques I used. And I didn't even read this article. I just came up with it. Uh, it came from the ether. But when I started paying attention to the inner addict, I would um, try and just out sh- like shout it you know once i started to hear you know you're an asshole you'll never make it i shut I, the fuck up shut the you, fuck up you're just saying that as you walk down the street <laughs> i would say even louder you're great you're going to do it and i caught myself like i even do this on the on the private group on the facebook i will no matter what i just want to say it's going to be a great day <laughs> or when people come into my store and they look sad and they think you know this is the end i say 
you know, I'm not sad. This is going to be the best year ever. And I say it almost every time. And I feel like the more I say these things instead of, oh, it's just another thing I failed at. It's just another, you know, no, this is going to be great. We're going to make something out of this. And, and that kind of thing, replacing those negative uh, thoughts um, and sentiments with something positive, if not a little Pollyanna and a <laughs> so, little toxic. Just a little. But you got to fight these. <laughs> you got to fight the feeling. You can't force it, though. I, I think I, well, I, I can't it worked for me. I can't fight feeling any longer. <laughs> you know, but it, it works. It works. I think you can do that I to some degree. But I, but I think it's, I think you got to watch that. That's because just your negative inner it, critic talking. It could be, or it could be like if you go around telling everybody, smile, you stupid son of a bitch. Positive you know, like, positivity is also bullshit, but it, that's a story for another day. Oh, I think that's a whole episode <laughs> oh, we yeah. can do. <gasps> um, oh, but I do have a tattoo on my wrist that says, it's fine. It's okay. fine. And I got it just during a period of incredible turmoil. Uh, and uh, this was not long after I... Uh, talked even on this show about the relapse and stuff but um yeah my life was on fire it's crazy it was like that dog where he's like it's fine yes and that's what i thought about when fire. you mentioned the tattoo yep, yep. Mm. so i got yeah i got that and i mean it's part sarcasm mostly sarcasm just like me but also kind of like hey a little reminder and it's just a little tattoo right on my wrist <laughs> No, I mean, I like that. It's fine. It's, fine. it's okay it's to fine. be okay. It's all right. Um, yeah, I'll take a picture and put it on the yeah, Facebook group. So anyone it. that wants to see <laughs> a little, uh, it's fine, second tattoo, you got to go to the Facebook group and join. Nice. Um, th- uh, thank you so much for doing this on short notice, Aaron. And uh, it's, it's oh, a little, thank cr- you guys. it's kind of crazy this week, you know, um, but I really appreciate it. Um, it's getting very late here. Um, I think we got it. Feels t- late. We, oh, wow. we touched on a lot of important topics. <laughs> we're old. And uh, next time, Aaron will be on a microphone, and we're going to use Zencaster, and it might even be a video if she's up for it. It's going to be um, amazing. So, we're going to be so fancy. So, <laughs> I'll finally answer their FaceTime call. Yes. <laughs> so tune in for that. And um, you can find Aaron on um the Discord group. She's on the the, uh, the Facebook group. Her website is fallingphoenix.com if you want to learn more about her amazing story of survival with the Phoenix House and and all of that. And is there anything you, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, that whole story is like Yellow Jackets without yeah. uh, the great soundtrack. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so what was the question? Where, where do they get you? Can they just post something on the, the RMA private group on Facebook and you'll answer? You'll fly yeah, in? Great. Yeah. Anybody have any questions or just want to say like you suck or whatever? <laughs> um, yeah. And, and you can even say, uh, you can even, uh, review on our, uh, the iTunes thing, but you, even if you say like the worst things, you still have to leave a five star. Yeah, yes. five stars. Say whatever you want. Just give us the stars. <laughs> yeah, you can be honest, but there are better than five fucking stars there. God darn it. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. <laughs> and for now, we are going to say good night and thank you. Good night. All right. Farewell. Love y'all. <laughs> Love you too. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> we always have to say that. And that was the great Get Smart with Aaron. 
And um, we will be right back after these words. Okay. Gotta pee. Okay. What does he do? We're back. And we're back. And that was the great Get Smart with Aaron. That's yeah. that's the new title. Right. Get Smart with Aaron. Right. Oh. And uh, that was a lot of fun. That was great. Um, and thanks again to Aaron. Good talk. And, uh, you know, like we said, get her on the Facebook group or the Discord and um, and chairing uh, the uh, RMA meetings every so often. Yes. Um, it is getting late. I think it's Jesus time. Jesus Christ, it's late. I know. You're just making work. <laughs> it's time for Recovery in the Recovery News. Recovery in the News. Yeah! All right! Recovery in the News. Recovery in the <laughs> that was the mannequin. Yeah. Evening edition. Did you guys hear that out there in Munsterland? That crash? The um, half of a mannequin fell off of a shelf in the middle of my performance. So <laughs> I apologize. How dare it. Recovery the news. I didn't put the uh, title. You didn't, which is what I was fumbling around with on the break so I could get the title. Uh, today is. Uh, our, today is. Today's recovery Today's the news. Recovery the news article is brought to you by the doyen of the news um, with the cut or something. I don't know. It's the no. It's the New York Times. The New York Christ Times. Sake. The New York Times. Thank you. Uh, the opinion. It's an opinion piece called titled. Why can I never get the fucking title out of this story? Spit it always, out, there's buddy. always a problem. We are anyway losing listeners by the second. <laughs> they're not going anywhere. Yeah. If they're with us this long, they're going to stick it out to the end. Um, the New York Times this week has a guest opinion piece by Maya Zalovitz, and the title of the article is Treating Addiction as a Crime Doesn't Work. What Oregon is Doing Just Might. And I guess you guys remember that we have covered the Oregon experiment here before uh, on this podcast. The Oregon experiment. The experiment where Oregon has decided to legalize personal use amounts of all narcotics, right, including right. heroin and cocaine. And how's that going? Well, um, it depends on who you talk to. But uh, Maya Zolovitz is very much in favor of the experiment. And um, because she perhaps rightly sees that the big, one of the biggest problems, and we've talked about this too, with um, getting enough resources and treatment and for addiction is stigma, Right. And her argument is that criminalization uh, supercharges stigma, uh, and stigma is the biggest roadblock to recovery. So hmm. it's such a major roadblock that most organizations working to combat addiction have large initiatives focused on addressing stigma, including a US, uh, former U.S. Surgeon General's uh, in a speech about uh, opioid surgeons, addiction. Surgeons General, I think. Well, but this is one particular Surgeon General. Right. Go so on. it would be one Surgeon General uh, who said, uh, who articulated that he thought the biggest killer out there was was stigma. It keeps people in the shadows. It keeps people from coming forward and asking for help. Now we covered this at some length last week with anonymous people, right? Yeah. We, and, yeah and there, the idea was that the anonymity is what was driving the stigma. Here, she's saying it's the criminalization is what's driving the stigma. It's two sides of the same coin, I think. It is. Um, so. 
she further argues that to reduce stigma and to improve the addiction crisis, drug policy has to be liberated from the idea that without criminal penalties, no one would ever quit using drugs. Mm. Because far from spurring recovery, arrest, incarceration, and having a criminal record exacerbates drug use. And this, I think we saw, if you go back two weeks... Life of Crime. Life of Crime. I agree. The documentary, where those guys kept getting put through the system. They were really drug addicts. I right. mean, they were petty criminals too, but what, what was driving the petty criminality was, was the drug addiction. And it's what killed them. Yeah, because you can't, they come out, they couldn't get a job. Right. They're, they're, they were criminalized. Because you have the felony too. We also discussed that with Joseph Naus and, right. and the struggles he had oh, yeah. with the, after a prison for him as well. So today, people who are caught in Oregon with personal use amounts of heroin, methamphetamine, or other drugs, they get a, a traffic ticket, which is a $100 fine, basically. Uh, and the fee will be waived by undergoing a health screening in which treatment may be recommended but not required. Uh, of course, selling or carrying quantities beyond personal use can still result in prison time. Um, That's confusing. Is that confusing to people? You know? I don't think it's con- confusing so much as it it may be ineffective the way the program is currently structured. Mm. Because what you have here is you have someone getting a $100 fine that they're never going to pay anyway. Uh, and the fee would be waived if you go, undergo a health screening where someone could recommend you to drug treatment but not require you to go. Mm. And there's no... There's no teeth. There's no teeth. Now, perhaps the argument is there shouldn't be any teeth. Mm. Just because, gums, just gum it. Just gum <laughs> well, if you do enough methamphetamines on the streets of Portland for long enough, that's what you'll be doing. Yeah. Um, the whole theory behind this is, of course, um, research shows that being unemployed uh, worsens addiction, sure. while employment improves the odds of recovery. So intervention when someone still has a home or still has a life, right. rather than tr- taking all those things away from them as a precursor to treatment and, and, and ending up incarcerating people to get sober in jail because that's like effective to get people off drugs, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really help them uh, in the long term. I have heard people, you know, different speakers in different recovery, you know, things like movies and tapes or whatever. And I've heard people say, you know, thank God for jail because that's where I got sober. So mm-hmm. it does happen, but it's probably not the most efficient way to get someone treatment. Um, well, some people say that prison helps them kick drugs. More tend to describe dreadful conditions, ineffective treatments, traumatic experiences. Yeah. For example, 80% of jails do not allow the use of methadone or buprenorphine. That's insanity. Right. So you're basically, and you can get any drug that you need in jail. So yeah. Uh, if you read enough uh, jail memoirs or drug memoirs, there's always a scene where they have to kick in a holding cell, you know. And then there's that nice little statistics that states with more drug arrests do not have less drug use. So if you were going to argue that criminalizing drug use is a, an effective deterrent, that statistic would tend to, to say so, that that's not true. Well, where should we draw the line legally with drug abuse? That's the question. Well, I mean... Her argument is you have to take the entirety of the criminal justice system out of it and, and, totally. and make it a medical issue. But then we're giving all the power to doctors. And if you're reading Evan Haynes's book, mm-hmm. this is a horrible idea. Um, you know, Can America Recover is kind of all about taking uh, recovery away from the, uh, the medical uh, industry, so to speak, and that this medicalization of it is just as detrimental as the criminalization. Just as detrimental? That's kind of where he's going with that book. 
I'm only 200 pages in, but. So is he not in favor of using medications to treat opioid addiction or the Sinclair method or anything like that? I'm about to find out in the second half of this book. And I've been texting with him and we had a really great conversation today because I kept telling him, uh, we're not ready for you yet. You know, I want to get through your whole book, but yeah, he's, he's got some very, so we're going to see where it goes, but that's a great question to ask him. I mean, here's, here's my issue with this, this approach. If you do not put the structures in place before you legalize and before you take it away from the criminal justice the system. support structure. Right. right. You're, all you're going to have is what you have on the streets of Portland today, which I witnessed firsthand this summer. It's mm-hmm. just open-air drug use, drug markets, unsafe streets, tent cities, because you can legalize the drugs, fine. Mm. But if the people have nowhere to go, if there's no, no way to push people into treatment, all you're doing is creating an environment where drugs can be used without any consequence. Could you do do me and the listeners at home a favor? Yes. And let's let's go into the theater of the mind. Mm. And could you just describe one scene? I'm putting you on the spot, but can you think of a scene like something you saw on yes. the streets and just take us there? My I think I mentioned this on the show before, but my older son is fascinated by the idea that there are neo-Nazis and uh and anarchists fighting in the streets of Portland. So we were there this summer, so he wanted to go see where that was going down. So we got in the our rented minivan and we drove drove over to the part of town where that was supposed to be happening. I like this kid. Um we did not find anarchists fighting with neo-Nazis, but several blocks away, what we did find was I, I was at a stoplight and I looked to my left and the guy's got a needle in his arm uh, in a doorway. I looked to my right and there's two people smoking crack in another doorway. Mm. And I looked down the street and it's just more of the same as far as the eye can see. And how did they look? Were they businessmen vaccinating no, no. This, themselves? No, this, no. Was not, uh, this was not sort of high-end drug use. This was sort of street-level drug use, but the, the sheer number of people, you know, who are, who are homeless, yeah. who are using drugs out there. And, you know, Salovitz and, and everybody who points to, to the legalization as a sort of a, a panacea for the drug problem, they always cite the example of Portugal, which is a country in Europe that decriminalized uh, and then legalized um, a few years ago and has had really positive results. Right. But what's always left out of that conversation is the fact that Portugal spent years fine-tuning their social services systems, plus they have universal health care, so the profit motive is taken out of treatment. Yeah. Uh, and before they pulled the, uh, the criminal penalties away from drug use, they had this entire structure set up to deal with what the fallout was, and right. they studied the problem. In America, with our healthcare system, we either don't want to do it or we just simply can't do it. The system is not structured to be allowed to, to work that way. So yeah. it's easy to legalize drugs. You can just pass a law and they're legal. It is much harder to actually treat <laughs> the drug use. Yeah. So, Do you think part of the problem is like federalism and how we're putting too much on each state? Instead of having a federal uh, support system, or do you think that well, it's I mean, best this gets handled? a little wonky, but I mean, you know, Medicaid tends to go to the states and block grants, and states can spend it however they want. They can spend it on treatment. They can spend it on you know uh, whatever is that they want. The best idea? No, the best idea is universal health care from the federal government, not just yes. state run everything. Of course. So if they're could, take the profit you know, motive out of healthcare, all of a sudden it becomes uh, taxpayer money being used to treat people. So the incentive is to get people to stop using the service, mm. so you get them better and you get them out of the system. 
You know, not you don't see them as a, a source of perpetual profit taking like mm. we have in our current system. Right. I mean, look at what else we've covered in this uh, show about how much an addict's you know cup of urine is worth. You know, right. thousands of dollars. 3, so, 000, so yeah. where's the incentive to get people better? There is none. Right, there's more. So you legalize yeah. drugs, you make more drug addicts, you make as much money as you can off of putting them in a revolving door of treatment that is completely ineffective, and then you know the system and the the problem perpetuates itself. Interesting, and um, you know the other part of this I was just thinking about is where does safe supply come into this? Like if we put this all together and in our um, recovery fantasy land where there is universal health care, where there is uh, decriminalization and you take the criminal justice system out of it and we also have um, federally supported um, treatment centers that anybody can go to that are loving and supportive i mean is there then a place for a safe supply of say heroin of just narcotics mm. that are regulated and monitored so that the people who do choose maybe they choose to still use drugs should we then also go in that direction on top of everything else and just get it all fixed up do you well, think that that makes sense Matt, you're asking me to essentially solve the drug drug problem in our experiment of the mind well that's what our i want to do of the mind uh, i would say the best person to uh, ask the, that question would be dr carl hart Ooh. if you can wake him up from his heroin stupor long enough oh, to get him to answer the question that was a cheap shot but Mike. um <laughs> so if i had to just off the cuff i would say if you're going to provide people with maintenance drugs that are purified by the yeah. government regulated doses it should be with a de- fully defined trajectory leading to abstinence very interesting folks we are getting closer to our unified <laughs> field theory of addiction and recovery and um i think that's recovery in the news that is Mike. recovery in the news yeah. and no mannequin falling down on that one so Thank you for bearing that's with That's not a euphemism. No. That's <laughs> my euphemism. Yes, Stick. yes, took it. yes, I took it. Um, so thank you for bearing with us tonight, folks. This is an unconventional RMA night. Are we getting some an actual weird week this week? Because it's been last thing, last few things have been like giant potatoes and shit. <laughs> this is pretty good. And please, thank you. Weak and weird. I was going to say, get the right thing for that. Okay. <laughs> Jesus, touchy at night, aren't you? Speaking of Jesus... Uh, Weak and weird. Face of Jesus spotted in Antarctica on Google Earth by who? Tim Banal. An anomaly hunter exploring Antarctica on Google. We've talked about anomaly hunters before. Yes. Uh, spotted on Google Earth, stumbled upon a strange shape that he believes is the face of Jesus. Exclamation point. The remarkable discovery was made by, by indefatigable UFO researcher Scott Waring, who was looking for potential evidence of... Uh, ancient alien activity on the frosty continent. <laughs> how does you, how do you, isn't it hard to get down there? No, Google Earth. And then you just type oh, in Antarctica. Oh, I thought he actually went. No, no, okay. it's impossible. The government doesn't want you there to find Right, the because of alien, the aliens. And the pyramids yeah, and things. Okay. I don't want you to see. Right. Um, while observing a site which he suspects is some kind of ET structure, right. the anomaly hunter was stunned to... St- to scroll over and see what appears to be a rather distinct visage. Pointing to what he sees as long hair, a beard, and a crown of thorns, <laughs> Waring argued that the face that the face is that of Jesus. The anomaly hunter posited that the perceived statue is proof that, quote, the ancient aliens once inhabited Antarctica. I'm sorry. That's proof. 
and they love Jesus at the same time. Yeah. As, okay, go ahead. As for <laughs> it's, this is my next question, but it's, I see it's answered. Yeah, Tim Benal you know, yeah. tackles this for us. As for <laughs> for how Jesus might fit into that theory, Waring made the fantastic assertion that he was, in fact, quote, an alien who came to Earth to instill morals and rules to help chaotic early humans rise to enlightenment. <laughs> Speaking about Jesus, that's who he said Jesus right, was. Right, right. Uh, early humans. Yeah, that Wasn't was in the middle of the Roman Empire. At the, anyway, could be um, much like the many marvelous oddities spotted on the moon and Mars by anomaly hunters. Skeptics will undoubtedly mm. say that the face of Jesus found in Antarctica is simply a product of pareidolia uh, and not an ancient monument built by extraterrestrials. Is pareidolia the when you the see phenomena f- where you see human faces and things? Yeah, yeah they, okay. they talk about a lot of um, people who are debunking some of these things always yes, yes, say, yes. it's pareidolia. Right. We, we're genetically, you know, engineered to see faces and everything. It's part of our survival. The punchline is the last one. While they are probably right, one can't <laughs> help but note the similarities between, between the newfound visage and the famed Face on Aha! Mars. They're the same. Well, is it, that Mars Jesus? It could be Mars Jesus, but um, you know, many people say that you know uh, Mars is was actually the ancient uh, human civilization that they destroyed their own planet and they sent some people to Earth who then started civilizations and then you know there was a major pole shift and they got flash frozen in Antarctica and. Um, you know, crazy stuff like that. Smoke weed every day. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, some of our monsters out there are talking about how they're starting to listen to Week and Weird. I know. And they've started a movement. Listen, you got to <laughs> think about this stuff because there's a lot more to life than just, you know, than just binary code. Somebody there's, suggested that we get Tim Benal on to do a. I would love to get Tim Benal. He's got a good radio voice, too. I've heard him. He must. He must do interviews. I don't know if he's exclusive with Coast to Coast AM. That's a pretty uh, good show. All right. Okay. So that is Week and Weird, RMA Nights. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and weird. Ooh. So, and really, really, really. It's weird. late. I'm I tired. It's I want to go to sleep. Well, that about does it for today. I know I had a great time. Did you? Yes. It was fan-fucking-tastic. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So, tweet us at what you twit. Support your favorite show. Drop a five-star review on iTunes and now Spotify. Join our private Facebook group. Buy a t-shirt, please, on the shop link mm. simply write and say hello we love meeting new monksters and chopping it up so uh join the inner sanctum at patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages for extra episodes discord chat group everything and finally the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend if you get something out of our little show please share the love and help grow the rma movement and as we say non proficiat perfectum progress not perfection See you next time. Be good, you mother... Bye.